Hello, and welcome to episode 38 of A Positive Podcast. Today's episode, I'm sure you're all going to find quite fascinating. But before we get into that, I wanted to share with you all a message that I received through my Instagram account. And it read like this. Hello, Razel. I really enjoyed listening to your podcast. It's my form of learning and growing. It lifts me up when I need that extra boost. As such, I would love to sponsor an episode. I read this, I thought to myself, this is so incredibly generous and kind for somebody to take the time to show appreciation for something that they enjoy. And as we got to talking more, she shared with me that as a busy mom, she doesn't have the time to always learn and dive in as much as she would like, but she finds that listening to this podcast gives her that boost and fuels her day positively. And she takes the time to apply many of these concepts that she learns and apply it to her life. So thank you, Mushki Sasankin, for sponsoring today's episode. I truly appreciate it. If you would like to sponsor an episode in honor of a loved one, or perhaps you would like to promote your business or organization, please reach out and email razel at jewishpeabody.com. You don't even have to sponsor the whole episode. You can do a partial uh, sponsorship as well. In addition, if you enjoy this podcast and you want to support the podcast, you can sign up and make a monthly contribution of any amount. It's as little as $1, $5, every little bit helps. And the link is in the show notes. So thanks again to those of you who took the time to sign up. It means a lot to me. In addition, if you're curious to hear more about positive coaching and what that entails, you can reach out via a positive coach, my website.com. So today's episode number 38 Marriage Matters is a conversation between me, my husband, and Moshe Zev Lam. Moshe Zev is a marriage therapist who comes highly recommended. He is an LCSW. He's a couples therapist with a private practice in Munson, New York. He has lectured extensively on the topic of marriage to both couples seeking to enhance their relationship, as well as to professional therapists seeking a deeper understanding of the couple's therapy process. His clinical methodology combines Gottman Method Couples Therapy, Emotionally Focused Couples Therapy, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, and Internal Family Systems. I'm truly grateful for this opportunity to sit down with Moshe Zev and ask him some questions that I'm sure many of you have wanted to ask yourself. I think you're going to learn a thing or two about bettering your own relationships and marriage from this conversation. So sit back, relax, and be ready to grow. Welcome, Mr. Lamb. Um, thank you so much for being willing to join us today on a positive podcast. I'm sure many people are going to gain insight and awareness that will help them in their marriage. My first time hearing you speak was at a workshop that you gave and that was available to listen on the yeshiva.net with Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson that he had posted there. And it was a fantastic workshop. And I felt like it was only one part that was up there. It it looked like, it sounded like there was two parts to it, but it was fantastic. I encourage everyone to go and listen to it. It was very, very informative. So ever since then, I've been thinking about questions that I would like to have if I had the opportunity to ask your opinion or insights on. And I chose to invite my dear husband, Nehemia, who's kind of my manager who helped arrange this um, interview as well, to join me on this episode, because right now, as we're recording this, we're actually on a much needed post-Tishrei holiday trip. So I thought it would add interest to this interview, having a male and female perspective and whatever comes up for us, we can share as we go along. So tonight, I want to ask you a series of questions 
some that are not specifically connected one to the next, but just some general questions on marriage and your thoughts, given your years of experience in this field. Okay. First of all, thank you so much for having me here. Really, it, the, just the opportunity to talk about Shalom Bias, about marriage is always exciting for me. So thank you. Thank you. So I want to begin with one important question. According to your experience and your years of working with couples, what do you think is the number one thing that a marriage needs to have in order to be successful? And I use the word successful versus happy because no marriage could just be happy all the time. But successful has a range of good moments, not such good moments, et cetera. So according to you, what do you think is one of the most important or number one tool that one needs to be tapping into to create a successful marriage? So can I have three number ones? Because <laughs> Go for it. I love that. Because I, I don't think there is a number one thing. I think there are three things. If I had to categorize what are the things that really make up a good marriage, I, I, would, I, would, put, I would give three things equal billing. Um, number one is and is what the term i'm going to use is subjective reality but a sense that when we come into a marriage everybody looks at marriage as this place of connection and connection is always the word connection attachment love if you open up the hood on a marriage you're going to see two individuals two very very different individuals and if you look at any good marriage you're going to see a respect for that. You're going to see two people who can, who are able to say, my spouse is different than I am, very different than I am, and that's beautiful. So just, just the sense of subjective reality in the sense that there is a reality out there so different than my own, but is equally valid to my own. So let's, let's call that subjective reality. That's number one. The second thing I would say is a, a shared, shared values is, is critical. We don't have to have the same personality. We don't have to have the same sense of humor. We don't have to have, there's very little that we have to have the same, but we have to have the same, the same values. The, the, the direction in life is critical. And the third thing I would say is number one is an understanding. This is probably the broadest topic and probably I would say contributes to more than 50% of what comes into my office. The third thing is a real understanding of what marriage is and what marriage is not. The, the misconceptions of marriage are, are, are rampant and really pull down marriage. A good marriage, when you see a couple in a good marriage, they have these three ingredients. They have a conception of what, what a marriage is and is not. They have a deep respect for each other's differences and there's a shared sense of value. Okay. So every one of those three can really be elaborated on, but I was just giving you the general, the general, the, the headline of it. Okay, so that's actually a, an excellent segue into uh, another question. There's a well-known adage, you know, that opposites attract. I know that's a maybe a little bit of a geisha thing, but you find, and let me throw a few pieces into this together, and you can uh, address whatever parts you find most interesting. Do you find that um, couples? operate better if they are similar on a lot of levels, if they are um, really are different on other levels. You know, you hear about couples who argue about how, you know, this one, I mean, I'm, I'm such an extrovert and they're such an introvert or vice versa. Um, this one wants to stay home and, you know, um, relax at home. This one always wants to go out. This one wants a lot of guests and little guests. And in fact, how do they navigate those differences? And perhaps just to throw another layer on that, onto all of this, I know you address this in your workshop much more at length, where you really break down these issues down to values versus dreams, which is um, a, a good 
chunk of that workshop, you know, right. in, and I know you can't summarize a whole workshop into a soundbite because if you did, then you wouldn't have to give the whole workshop, but give us perhaps the essential nugget of all this to, to the best of your ability in as best as you can in a soundbite to really break down this idea of how couples navigate these differences in a way that really. I'm going to pick on one, 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 one aspect of the research is uh, John Gottman actually did this, did this 40 years ago. He started, the, the, if you look at the world of couples therapy 40, 50 years ago, it was really a disaster. It was the blind leading the blind or, or maybe bad marriages trying to figure out how other bad marriages are working or not working. And what, what John Gottman and a few others did was he said, let's take the research in a different direction. We're researching, how are we doing research? How do you do research on couples therapy, on marriage? Let's look at the bad marriages and see what they're doing wrong. He said, wait a second, let's look at the good marriages and see what they're doing right. And one of, one of the primary findings was that, he, ta he talks about this. One of the primary findings fascinating was there really wasn't much of a difference between the good marriages and the bad marriages in terms of the differences. It was when they were looking for, so what creates, you know, you would look at a good marriage, they must have so much in common. And look at a bad marriage, they must have much less in common. There's, you won't find that different. That's not a deciding factor in a good marriage or a bad marriage. What he found was the bad, the good marriages had as many differences as the bad marriages did. There's another aspect, another something else that comes out of Gottman's research. He found that 70%, when, when two people, and I think I mentioned this in that workshop, he found that. 70% of the arguments, and the official number is 69% of the arguments that couples have when they're in their 20s are unresolvable. When, when they're in their 80s, they'll still have the same argument. Now you might ask, is that the good marriages, the bad marriages? Makes no difference. It's, it's across the board. So couples in good marriages, couples in bad marriages have all these differences. If you're asking, if the question is, <clears throat> I think you started off the question by saying, you know, is, is that, do we need these similarities? How do we, not, you know, what do we do with these similarities? How does it contribute to a good marriage or bad marriage? Is that? Well, yes, or, 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 or maybe that, how to navigate it when, how to navigate those significant differences. And others, there are differences on, again, to go back to your workshop, you know, should we have a lot of guests, a little, a few guests or, or, or bigger issues, which yeshiva to go to, which, or, or, or what kind of home are we going to run? So right. there are, are very significant issues that really do need to be you know, worked out. And if you can't resolve them, you probably need to go to a therapist. You know, like right. if, if I think we should raise our kids Hasidish and you think we should raise them Litvish, we got a problem in the house. So that's, that's, I, now, you have a, now you have potentially at least a values, a values conflict, which is, a, a value, which, is value com, conflict. which is much more complex, right? But, but let's go to the simpler one. <laughs> well, not simple ones. It, it, it's, it's not a values issue. It's, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I prefer spicy and you prefer sweet. I know there's something that isn't a value uh, issue, but 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 maybe the couple is really, you know, they dug their, their heels in and they're they're right. at a loggerhead. They just can't seem to break through. Right. So your so, question so, is that you're looking for how to navigate those easier? Right. What what would be a a, a, a better way? Yeah, a, a better way to navigate through the not such important issues, but they're creating real real stress in the marriage. Okay. So I'm going to go back to those three things that I mentioned in terms of you asked me what were the number one contributing factors to a good marriage or a bad, is, is a, a sense of shared values, um, a sense of subjective reality with two different people. And <clears throat> the third thing I said was this understanding of what marriage is. If you take, apply those three things to the question you're asking, those are the three things that really allow us to, to navigate this. 
uh, where are we going for Shabbos? Where are we going for Yamtif? Which yeshiva are we sending our kids to? Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be silly little things about spicing food. It could be, it could be, you know, should our, should our kids have pace behind the ear? Should our kids have, these are, these are all things that have come up. The first, when a couple realizes, first of the 70% statistic I mentioned to you, when a couple realizes that in a good marriage, there's a 70% chance that this is not going to be resolved, resolving it in the sense of who's right and who's wrong starts to starts to starts to say, take second place if the navigating this means if navigating this means am i going to convince you that i'm right or are you going to convince me that you're right we've lost before we started right because there's a 70 percent chance that no neither one is going to convince the other one so, so let me interrupt you for one yeah, second because I, sure. I gave a bad example it's kind of maybe uh, steering the question incorrectly forget about spicy and sour let's say the couple's having a disagreement about whether uh, uh, one of the children misbehaved and did something whatever that wasn't good and one couple feels they should have this kind of punishment the other couple says let's just let it go so right. this, this, this is an perfect. actual issue it's it's common it happens in most homes um if we do make an issue out of it it's not going to be the end of the world if we don't if we put them in a timeout it's not going to be the end of the world if we let it slide it's also not going to be the end of the world but they, they have a fundamental disagreement about what is the correct parenting approach regarding this particular behavior that this child did Right. So, so again, back to the 70%. So if, if we're not going to resolve it, but, but we do need to address well, how what we do we do. Up. If we're not going to resolve it, where do we go? What do we do? How do we handle this? All right. And the, the, so, I mean, the first thing I tell couples in a situation like that, the particular one that you're mentioning, but this is not, this is not really the answer to your question, but usually whatever fight we're having over the chinuch is worse for the kids than whichever one is whichever one is right or wrong. In other words, it'll be more painful to the children that we're fighting than if we do it your way, even though it's the wrong way. But that's that's as an aside. Could I accept, can I accept that as convinced as I am, and, and this is this is a real question. I'm asking I'm asking this question, and sometimes the answer to this question is no. And then we have to go further than that. But here's the question that I would ask a couple. Or I, I would ask myself in, inside a situation like this. So I, I feel that we have to approach Kinnuch in this way. I feel bedtime is bedtime, whatever it is, and my, my kid has to go to sleep, and my wife feels, you know, there's a little bit of room for leeway. Or can I accept that as convinced as I am, as I, I am 100% sure that my approach is the correct approach, and the best thing for my child is going to be if we follow my approach? At the same time that I'm thinking that, can I hold on to the, to the reality that there is another human being here who I love and I respect, who grew up in a different home than I did, who has a different view of the world and always will have a little bit of a different view, who shares my values. We both want the same thing for our, for our children. We both want our children to grow up in a certain way. But this other person fundamentally disagrees with my approach to Chinuch. And she's 100% convinced that her approach is correct. And I'm 100% convinced that my approach is correct. Can I sit with that? And can she sit with that? You, you'll, it sounds, for, for couples who have not seen this in a marriage or have not seen this in their parents, this is like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? But in a good marriage, almost without exception, this is something that takes place inside of a good marriage. You see, you, you'll see couples. You know, I, I I know that if I want X, I go to mommy. And if I want Y, I go to Tati. You know, that's that's okay. 
that's there's nothing there's nothing really wrong with that as long as mommy and tati are not fighting about it hmm. and i know that when mommy's home at night i can go to bed like this and when tati's home at night i can go to bed like that as long as they're not killing each other over it that's okay that's healthy for a kid and kids grow up in these homes where they see parents with very different realities different sense of humors different you know one parent makes a joke and the other one thinks it's totally stupid but th this is his sense of humor this is her sense of humor L living with that th that's the that's the idea of subjective reality can i hold on to these two realities as equally as as, as equally legitimate and, and so basically for the couple and i guess for the child who's watching it um but <clears throat> For, for the couple where each one of them feels that their opinion is 100% correct and their their spouse is 100% wrong, but they re, they recognize that their spouse believes that they're 100% right. It, it, basically, you're choosing to be happy over being right. You're saying in this particular scenario, I'm not going to... I think it's a little uh, I'm not going to belabor the point. I'd rather just have a happy marriage. And it's not... Yeah, it is a little bit deeper than that. It's okay. not just choosing... It is choosing happy over being right, but it's a little bit deeper than that. I, I'm fundamentally accepting the reality that there's another human being here who is just as much of a human being as I am. And I, I can respect that there's a respect for that human being. There's a respect for the differences that that person has. So it's like holding space for that, like allowing them to allowing them to have their different opinion and not fighting it, but like rather saying, just like I think this is so true, he feels the same way so that, that this is so true for him. So right. if we both feel that way, we, then what? Now You're saying just by having that, mind frame shifts things and you're able to then navigate it easier because now you're respecting the the, the partner right now that doesn't mean i'm not going to try to convince you right i still think i'm 100 right and you you're going to try to convince me and i'll try to convince you but it's a very different conversation it's, it's, it's done respectfully it's done respectfully outcome is not critical the existence of our relationship is not hanging on the outcome and there's there's an understanding inside of that that if you think about it, this is really respect. This is a, this is another way of saying I really really respect you, and you really really respect me. There's no better way to respect each other than to respect the differences that that we have. This is this is all under the the heading of subjective reality. So let let me drill down just on one thing that you said. You kind of said yeah. in passing, but. Makes, yeah. uh, it's an actually a fascinating piece of all this. You said if someone has seen this in their home, it's it might be very easy for them to do this, and someone who has not, it might they, they, this might seem like a very foreign concept for someone who has not seen it in this this in their home. How do you develop this? So, in couples, I could tell you how we do it in couples therapy, and the, the answer is it's done it's done experientially. In other words, if I really and I, I, I guess you can do this at home also, but here's, here, here would be the approach. Well, you're kind of saying it needs to be done in therapy. No, no, I'm not saying it needs to be done in therapy. Anything that can be done in therapy can be done at home. But, but, but really, it, but what I'm saying is it needs to be done experientially. That's really what I'm saying. This is not enough about let me close my eyes and, and meditating on this, which, which was also helpful. But being able to have a conversation, if you watch that workshop, you saw that the conversation where I'm not trying to convince you. I'm trying to hear what you have to say. When we have that kind of conversation, the conversation that leads to a sense of subjective reality is a conversation where if I'm trying to convince you and you're trying to convince me, we will forever remain inside our subjective reality with, without respect. If, 
if I'm really trying to hear what you're saying, I'm going to walk away, maybe not agreeing with you, but understanding that there's a whole world that you live in that I need to respect. Maybe, maybe you, you really, really insist on being machanach the kids this way. And I totally fundamentally disagree with that. But if I'm really willing to sit and listen to what you have to say, and listen to everything that's behind it, listen to the thoughts and feelings that are behind it, what I'm going to find is you're not stupid. It's coming from somewhere. And even if I disagree with you, it's coming from a, from a, from a, from a, from a place inside of you that I, I, I can touch that place inside of you. I may, not, I may not agree with your opinion, but I can, I, can, I can see the pain inside of you from your childhood where that's coming from. I can see the yearning that you have for your child and for his development and, and see where that's coming from. I could learn to respect that. I may, I may say, I still think that you can get what you want a different way, but I'm going to respect. I'm going to learn to respect what it is that you want. Is is that is that making sense? Yes, yes I, 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 it resonates with me. I could think of many arguments that we've had <laughs> that that I, I could have tapped into that a little bit more. So, for to believe the John Gottman study, actually, thirty percent of the time, it, it, the only time you're ever actually going to convince your spouse is only thirty percent of the time at best. Right. And and still, I'll respect you, even though we're not going to. I'm not going to necessarily convince you of you know to see things my way because we're going to remain in our seventy percent of disagreement. Right, right. I just think, I mean, a, a silly example of this might be, you know, a couple is arguing over the whether the window should be open or closed, right? I need the window open because I like it when it's when it's nice and geschmack and, 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 cold and cool in the room, and my wife needs it closed because it's freezing, and we're, we're fighting over that. If we're trying to, I know this is a silly example for this kind of thing, but if we're trying to convince each other like, what's the matter with you? It's freezing in here, not boiling in here. We're not getting anywhere. When I could, when I could look at my wife and see her going like this, she's just freezing, she's shaking, and I, I see the, the you know, icicles coming from her eyes. I, I, I suddenly, I still, I still feel hot. I still think the window should be, should be open, but suddenly there's a new respect for where she's coming from. That's, it's, that's a muscle. It's not. That's uh, actually not a silly example. It's an excellent example. Yeah. It really highlights your point. And that's I what I mean by experiential. I really need to bring myself into your experience. And when I do, I'm going to find that you know, even though I disagree with you, but this you're really saying something. I think this is so powerful because I think it's also great for parenting. So like you're parenting teens or older children, or even younger children, and you're like, why are you having like what? what? But when you could actually get in there and actually go through it with them and say, okay, what are they experiencing here? Right. Like it gives you a whole new understanding of them and it does it. It's a level of respect that I think it can help in any relationship, you know, coworker, parent, um, yeah. marriage. It's marriage just, at the end of the day yeah. is relationship. So whatever we're going to say about marriage probably will apply at some level. It's just, it's a more intense relationship, but it's a relationship and it'll apply everywhere. I, I want to point out something. You just said something. And I'm not sure you do, you you know what you said, but it's such a profound. I'm going to say rule, both in marriage and in, and especially with children. When you were when you were sharing with me, you know the, how it would work with the children. You know, we look at our child. You said we look at our child and we say, well, you know, why are you doing that? Instead of looking at them and saying, you know, what's going on? Exactly. Notice the two words that you used. Why, and what? Hmm. 
why I, I can just tell you as a therapist very rarely there there are some exceptions very rarely will i use the word why with, with a client yeah i will it, never say why are you doing that instead i'll say well you know what's coming up for you what, what is it that what pushed you in that direction what do you think what do you think that is think of husbands and wives talking that way think of talking to a child that way instead of saying you know why aren't you behaving it's like what are you finding hard about this? Right. right. I, I think that's exactly the book. Oprah book is with, with that title, like not not what's wrong with you, but what happened to you. Right. More yeah. curiosity yeah. than judgment. Yeah. Yeah. That's Just true. using using the word "what" instead of "why" is very powerful. I just wanted to grab onto that. Yes, that's a good one. It's an open ended question as well. Yeah. So I want to ask you another question. My sister in law shared with me years ago. I wouldn't say like seven years ago. An article by Dr. John Rosemond, and the headline of the article is. Your children should not be the most important in the family. And um, it was a whole article about the ideal way for a family to operate, you know, is to have the parents be the most important ones in the family and the children, you know, like this is how our parents grew up. You didn't interrupt your parents when they were talking. You, you know, you treated them with respect. They were the most important. And if you asked parents, say, who's the most important person in your family? They might say the kids are the most important. And he was rallying against it and saying that this is not necessarily a good healthy thing and you know I listen I read this article like seven years ago and really resonated with me and ever since then I've kind of you know today with all the knowledge that we have information about you know trauma and what our children are going through and you know learning trauma in school and in general with what children are dealing with I feel very differently about this whole way this whole article and I'm curious listen I agree ideally it is very good for the children to know that the parents have a healthy marriage, they have a happy home, and they're the most important part of the family. But times have changed. It's not the world that we, you know, our parents grew up with, or even the world that we grew up in. So, you know, where, you know, a parent's bedroom was sacred, and you didn't interrupt your parents, you didn't come into their room at night. That's not happening anymore. That's just not how it is. So I guess my question is, is knowing what we know about today's world, how can we integrate this idea that parents are important or being the most important part of the family into having a healthy home and a healthy marriage. So the word, the word important, <clears throat> I, I'm, I, I guess I'm kind of struggling with that. You know, it's who's more important. Are you more important? I, 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 so that, I, I think once upon a time, there was a hierarchy in the family. So in the kids in, knew that mommy and Tati are on the top of the pecking order for lack of a better term i just i think the word important the same thing comes up for me when i hear it it's like why are you more important than the kids the kids are as important i'll give you an example you have yeah. you're, you're married you're in a relationship and your child needs to talk to you and your husband needs to talk to you okay and you could tell the child to wait you could also tell your husband to wait but i think the old-fashioned way of thinking was the child should wait until the parents finish talking whereas this child really wants to tell their mother something important it's it so who are you going to listen to? You're going to talk to your spouse, answer your spouse's question right now, or, or can you say, "Can you wait a minute? I need to answer my child's question." I mean, that's a small example, right? But I'm saying that comes so, up a lot where you're choosing. There are times where you're choosing your child's needs over your spouse's need. Another example would be, for example, we're right now on a vacation. We went away together. Right. My children don't love when we go away. They have a hard time with it. They miss us. They want us to be there. They they you know they fetch about it and they complain about it. And there's a part of me that says it's just not worth it. Like I don't, I don't want my children upset. I, I have a hard time with that. I don't enjoy it as much. I'm much, I'm happier when they're happy, right? We, we want, you know, we're happy when our kids are happy. And at the same time, I know how important it is, how vital it is for a marriage to have time alone with one another and and really reconnect and have that time alone. So I guess my question is, is 
How do we balance that? I guess so the, there's, I'm still bothered by the word important because I, you know, to tell I the agree. kids, it's, I would put it more is, and, and even if they say who need, whose needs come first, I, I think the children need to know. Children need to know. I think it's healthy for the children to know. I mean, the example you gave, I, you know, I want to talk, I want to talk to mommy, but mommy now wants to talk to daddy and, and who comes first. There's a word that's used in the literature. It's two words that are used in the literature, authoritative and authoritarian. I don't know if you've yeah. ever heard those two words. Yes. So authoritative is I'm in charge. Right. So let's all come together and talk this through. And I really want to understand who you are and I want to understand what your needs are because I'm in charge. And because I'm in right. charge, I want to authoritarian is this is what I said. So be quiet and listen. When when a child comes over, and the example that you gave, when a child comes over and says, I want to talk to mommy, but, but now mommy's talking to daddy. I, I do believe, I do believe the child needs to be told that right now there's something important going on between mommy and daddy. And, and yeah, we do come first. You know, you have to have that respect. I think that I think that's a critical piece. There needs to be a respect from the from the child to the parents. That doesn't mean that it should be done in an authoritarian way. In other words, from an authoritative place, I, I could look at my child and say one minute, and if a minute goes by and he says, are you ready yet? I, I could say to him, is it really, really important? Because right now I'm in the middle of a conversation with mommy. There's something, and it was, I'm not coming from, it, it's, it's not so much when you look at the pecking order, who's more important, who's needs, I think that itself, we're looking at it from the wrong perspective. Right. We, the, the, it's more, it's, it, a lot of these things need to happen inside of a relationship. If my relationship with my children is one, is an authoritarian relationship, it, it's going to be a disaster. It, it doesn't work today at all. I don't know if it ever worked, but it, it for sure doesn't work today. But an authoritative relationship does work today. And I found that kids can respect that. But it needs to be from that place of a relationship. I'm going to go on vacation with mommy. I know that's hurtful to you. I know that's painful to you. You know what? You can even talk to me about the pain that you're going through. We, we can discuss that. Let me see what, what we can do to make it easier for you. But but mommy and tati really, really need that. Kids can, inside of a, if my relationship with my children is a healthy relationship, they kids can respect that. They, they can hold on to that. But I do think that, I mean, that I, I, if it sounds like I'm trying to beat around the end, I'm not. I, I think very clearly, there does need to be a sense that mommy and Tati are mommy and Tati. I'm, I'm avoiding the use of the word more important. Yes, I, I agree. But, but mommy, and Tati, mommy and Tati. Uh, uh, th does the word hierarchy, is that more comfortable? In other words, there is a hierarchy in the family. This, yeah. It doesn't uh, love you any less. I'm definitely more, yeah, I'm definitely more comfortable than that. The more important sounds like there's something less about you. There's nothing less about you as a child, nothing. Yes, right. But, but we are the parents and there is an there is an authoritative structure. There's a hierarchy that's yeah. that's important for the kids to to know. I think that's it's healthy for them. I actually, exactly. I think I think kids find safety in knowing that their parent is again not more important, but is higher up in the hierarchy ladder, and that gives them some safety. You yeah, know that, no, they, that, that they, definitely is. It's interesting. They found that kids. I mean, if you go to the extreme of kids who don't have rules. And 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 are allowed to do whatever they want. I mean, twisted parenting. Yep. The, there's when you go now. Not twisted parenting is is. is no, no, I, I said I said permissive. Not oh, permi I'm sorry. Yeah, permissive yeah. parenting. Permissive, very permissive parenting, where the kids don't have a structure. 
and don't have a sense of rules. Sometimes I've seen research on this. The kids can experience trauma, the same trauma that they might experience in an abusive home. It's 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 scary. It's very scary research. Wow. That, that sense of not being held. That sense of of everything is okay. Everything goes. Okay. But not, now we're talking about an extreme. But even in in the not, the not extreme, the in between. I think I I think it's really important for kids to feel that sense. I use the word safety. I like that word. There's a safety in knowing that there's a hierarchy. They'll fight it. They'll 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 still fight it, but there's still there's still a safety there. Let, let me dive just a teeny bit. I, I think maybe what you're asking on a deeper level is, it seems like things have changed. Once upon, once upon a time, it was a given. Mommy and Tati were at the top of the hierarchy. No one, a, a child never even thought to interrupt them. It was disrespectful. It was chutzpah. And you just didn't do it. Nowadays, kids are softer. The world is softer. Life has changed. Um, we hold much more space for our children. We have great lingo around that. And the question is how to integrate that. The fact that the kids are not as, as um, respectful as they once were. We want to hold some of the old world values, but we also want to keep the structure of a family operating in a, in a normal manner. How do we balance the, the new world order with the okay. sacred That's and successful old world order? Such an important question. And it's, by the way, very relevant to marriage also uh, i'll get it's it's a, you're, the question you're asking is about children but it's so relevant to marriage because we live in a world where there is a an ex, an explosion of language around emotions that that we've never had before there's an awareness of, of emotions that we never had before and it's contributing to the the third the third problem I said with marriage people don't have an awareness of what marriage is it, it, it comes up but let me answer the question about kids I think what you what, what needs to happen there that balance and that that's it's, it's a tricky balance it is but the balance is in it in, in validation versus permissiveness validating validating my child's feelings is not the same as saying it's okay to do what you what you're doing in, in the world we live in today, I, let's, let me give you, let, let's say I walk into a room and I see that my three-year-old daughter just smashed my six-year-old son's Lego set that he worked three weeks on. And now his Legos are all over the floor and he is a, about to attack her and, you know, he's going for the kill, right? He's maybe 50 years ago. I could have said to my son, don't you dare touch your sister. <laughs> you, you get, get your hands over. It's only Legos. You don't, you, don't, you don't punch somebody in the face for Legos. And, and maybe 50 years ago, that would have worked in the parent-child relationship. You know, it's, it's, you're expressing an emotion now, which is totally out of line with what's really happening. In today's world, the complexities that you're describing, my son needs to feel validated. But that doesn't mean he can go beat up his sister. So what that would look like is, I, I cannot, if I tell him, if I tell him, why are you getting so angry? It's only Legos. Yeah, in today's world, I may lose this kid, as, as crazy as that sounds. You know, he, he, if, if I keep doing things like that, why are you getting so upset? Why are you getting so angry? Eventually, he'll, because he has a whole language for, for, for emotions, I run the risk of losing this kid. On the other, if I say to him, wow, I can't believe it. You worked three weeks on this. Three weeks. I can't believe what happened to you. You must be so sad. You must be so hurt. Must... 
but don't you dare touch your sister. That's 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 the second thing. I think we can validate. We have to validate our kids. That's that's, and at this, but at the same, we have to validate them, to address what 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 you're what you're what you're expressing. We have because they have all this whole language for emotions. We have to validate them, but that does not mean, and validation meaning I need to understand their emotions. I need to understand their emotional world. I need them to understand that I understand their emotional world. That's what we have to give our kids, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to have an extra level of permissiveness. It's, it's, right. And that's the same thing could be true for relationships as well. When we have difference of opinions, here we are, I could validate and I, and I could seek information so that I can come to validate. So I have to be curious about it. So if it's something that I don't understand, I can try to respectfully be curious, ask the question so that I can come to a point where I can actually validate my spouse for what, they're, what, what is it they're seeking or want or right. that I'm not understanding. Right, but I and yes, that's true. And I was, but I was going to say that one step further, in terms of what the, what has this done? This new awareness, you know, they. Um, I don't know if you've heard that the Eskimos have. Have you ever heard this line? The Eskimos have thirty words for snow. Right, there's a, that's so you know they they look at snow. I see. I look at snow and I see snow, and they look out and they see thirty one of thirty different things going on, because they have thirty words in their language they can experience 30 different types of snow. If somebody were to teach me those 30 words and show me what they are, I might slowly learn to experience that also. If I have a limited vocabulary for emotions, I have a limited set of emotions that I can experience. Hmm. When, when I have a vocabulary of hundreds of words for emotions, and every time I open up Mishpacha or Ami magazine, I learn another five words. Or every, every time I go to my therapist, I learn another five words. We have such a vast vocabulary of emotions. We live in a generation that's really feeling their emotions from the kids all the way up to adults that's feeling their emotions in a much deeper way, for better or worse. What that's causing in marriage, besides the validation piece, I just think this is an important thing to say. What that's causing in marriage is people want to feel good. People, want to, people are much more focused on how they feel in a marriage. I'm not sure my great grandmother was very focused on how she felt in the marriage. Uh, just so to be to be clear, so you're saying that this, you know, I don't want to call it new agey, but all this language is actually putting an extra strain on the marriages. It's for sure putting an extra strain on marriage, and I, I'm not knocking this new ageiness. I think it's a great thing. I think there's it's, a, there's, it's beautiful. You know, when, when it comes to mental health, there's a good value because kids can say, "I'm anxious." They can actually articulate what that discomfort, right. that un uncomfortable feeling is. But there's a flip side to it: is that the expectation level is much higher. So the, the flip side is now that we have this whole new awareness of what's going on inside of us. Uh, there's we we don't. It, it has not yet come along with the emotional sophistication that we need to handle it. Uh -huh. So, so people are really struggling with emotions and, and what's happening in marriage, what I see showing up in my office a lot is people really want to be happy and they're experiencing a whole set of, of emotions and, and expecting the marriage to somehow take care of that. And marriage doesn't do that. I mean, the, one of the misconceptions of marriage is that it, it, it's there to take care of so many of the pain, so much of the pain and loneliness that I experienced before, my insecurities, my pain, my loneliness that I experienced before the marriage, somehow marriage is going to take care of that. It doesn't. It, it just, the marriage does not take care of my existential pain. So now I'm dealing with all this existential pain and the marriage is not, our emotional 
understanding our emotional language is huge but our emotional understanding is not sophisticated yet enough to really handle everything that's going on i, I think we could probably go so, on that for another hour yeah, go back. <laughs> you said that your grandmother wasn't worried about you know her feelings um being validated she was more concerned about being right i'm just curious what do you think that the previous generation was more no no i would not that she was concerned about it. she was not sitting there focusing on how do i feel right now and how is this relationship making me feel i mean i never asked my grandmother i don't know i know i'm not talking <laughs> about your grandmother specifically i'm talking but, about all of my grandparents but but were they really sitting there focusing on what feelings is this relationship giving me do i really do i feel connected what does it mean to feel connected people want to feel connected I but think they my didn't have those needs back then. I, that's not, I'm so they, curious about that. They had the needs. Was it just like, do what is he doing what I said? Is my child doing what I told him to do? It was more about just getting things done. I'm just, oh, I'm so no, curious. No, no, no. I think they had, they were emotional. They were connected. I think they had a lot of very rich emotions. But once I have a very rich vocabulary for emotions, exactly. in our connection, I'm going to be looking inside of me. And I see people doing this. But what is this relationship doing to me? How is it impacting me? How now I have 12 different words to describe loneliness, to describe pain, to describe inner contentment. I have 12 different words for each of those. And what is the relationship doing? I have I have couples coming into my office who are very connected, extremely connected. They do things together, they function well together, they laugh at each other's jokes, they don't feel connected. Hmm. And that I, I do believe, again, I have no historical evidence of this, but I do believe that that's, that's somewhat of a new phenomenon. And you're saying that's because people have a whole new understanding of their feelings and they're left wanting? Or they have, yeah. they have, they yeah. have so many words. They have so many. Yeah, t tell me if this might be a good one. Tell me if this, <clears throat> you know, it would almost be like prior to Hollywood movies making their way into our lives, we had a somewhat of a pretty two-dimensional view of what marriage was, and we were all happy with that, and 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 we were we were filled with that. And once other outside ideas crept in, um, real or or not, they crept in, and now suddenly we're our marriages have to match a higher bar that may be not realistic. I think so that's that, about expectations. Again, it's not a perfect example. So in a certain way, all this language has created a new bar that is almost impossible to reach. So that, that's 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 part of it. That's a, that's that's the phenomenon of romantic love and what romantic love is and and what role is romantic love supposed to play in a marriage? That's that's a whole other topic. Um, but it's it's part it, it is part of this topic. If you go back and look at the literature 100, 200 years ago, there was there was no expectation in most cultures of romantic love as a necessary part of marriage. This thing we call romance. This thing we call there was. It was people who could be very close. People could have good marriages. People could have bad marriages. They could fight or they could be together. But the closeness came from a place of working together, loving together, laughing together, raising a home together, doing things together, playing together, belonging with each other. It, it was I, more of a functionality. I, I, I didn't say, but, but out of that functionality, look at the connectedness that's going on inside of that. When I start, look, well, but once I stop and say, well, but is it really, how is that feeling? How is that, is it really, am I, do, do I have some spiritual high from it? Is my cup full? Is my cup full? Um, it's almost, 
Esther Peril says it this way. She says that, I don't know if you're familiar with Esther Peril. Yes, yes. Um, she says in one of her books, we've, we've, conf we've kind of confused spirituality with relationships. We expect relationships to give us what we used to expect spirituality to give us. Fascinating. And it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Okay, and this is so good, and we could probably go on all night with this, but let, let's pivot a little bit just because we have a few more questions okay. that we're going to put together over here. How, how do you feel about friction and disagreements and arguments in marriage? But let me back it up with, with a little bit of, of uh, insight. So I remember when I was young and we're married kind of 22 years, you know, young love, you know, romantic, right, all that stuff. And I remember my father telling me, he said, it's actually okay for a couple to fight. He says, he says, couples that get along and agree on everything, or if they're, if everything is just so perfect all the time, he said, it's like two pieces of glass, you know, one of them, you know, can be, can weigh hundreds of pounds and they're sitting on top of each other. But if they're so smooth, they can just slide right off of each other. He says, whereas couples that argue, it can be like two pieces of rubber that weigh a half an ounce, but they're so porous that they actually are stuck to each other. It, and it prevents them from sliding away from one, one another. He says, an argument obviously done without, you know, I don't know how you argue respectfully, I guess, without cursing or, or, or letting it go too overboard, but, but disagreements and friction within marriage is actually, he, he was making the case, is actually something that's a positive, again, not that it should go on forever, it's actually within certain bounds, but it actually helps keep the couple together. Does this idea resonate with you? Uh, it, it definitely does. It definitely does. I'm not sure which workshop you saw, but if it was the one, there was one workshop that I did about conflict and, and how that is necessary in a marriage. But are you asking, there's, there's two parts to your question. One is the actual conflict, and one is what, what do our children see? Hmm. And like, oh, the children seeing is, is a whole nother conversation that, that they, they need to see right. some stability. But go with it wherever you want. So let, let's first talk about conflict. I think conflict in a marriage is necessary. But I'm going to use the word conflict, not fighting. When it gets to a place of anger, when it gets to a place of saying nasty things to each other or not talking to each other for a few hours that i don't i don't think there's any healthy piece to that in a marriage strong disagreements maybe i'm upset at you uh you hurt my feelings that that's i i think i think that's healthy in a marriage that's necessary in a marriage there's no way two people can live together 24/7 365 and not hurt each other's feelings so if it doesn't come out then they're just suppressing it it's there. Your feelings are going to be hurt by each other. There is going to be conflict. There's going to be you. You will be upset at each other. It's not. A, it's not a matter of is it good or not good for the marriage. It's you, if you're both human and you're living together, you're going to be upset at each other. It's inevitable. So, what? It's inevitable. So it's there. The the as long as it stays in that place, frustration, upsetness, you know, uh, hurt. As long as it stays there. I think it's very healthy and it's and it's even healthy for the kids to see. Really? That it's healthy for, to, to, a, to a certain extent, to a certain extent. So they can experience conflict resolution. I mean, it, I, if you're going to make up in front of them or come to the resolution together, I can see how it could be helpful. I'm curious about that. If it if it's turning into a heated conflict, no, I don't think the kids should see that. But if it's, you know, that was hurtful or I got a little bit upset at you, Right, I don't right. think I don't, I, we don't have to advertise it to the kids, but if the kids see it, I don't think there's any harm in that. As long as they see, oh, wow, mommy and Tati just got upset at each other. And look, they're still friends. Or, or, or you know, once one of, my, one of my parents hurt the other one's feelings and, and, and look, they're still friends. I think that's very healthy for kids. Yeah. Uh, another, you're, you're, you're modeling some like resilience almost. You can get modeling, modeling resilience, but but always keeping it 
inside, you know, you, you don't want to have any deep conflict resolution conversations in front of the kids. That's not their business. But but here and there, when it pops up, I don't think there's anything anything major happen. A fight, anger. What about let me let me interrupt for a second. If if you you're having a you're in the car and the kids are there and that you start talking about like you should have taken that right, you should have, and it starts to get a little heated. But you know, one of the spouses doesn't, but then but then the spouse, you know, you're in the car, the kids are there, and then you're like, you apologize. You're like, you know what? I totally overreacted there. I should not have gotten so heated up. It's just it's just a car. It's just a right wrong turn. I'm I'm really sorry for freaking out there. Now imagine a child in the back seat watching that. I think that's very, very powerful. I think it could be healthy. helpful. I think it'd be yeah. powerful. Yes. It's very, it's very healthy for a kid to see that. Right. The, the, that doesn't mean you have to stage it, but but you know, if it happens, yeah, it, I understand. It, it's gonna no, I happen. I don't think you have to, I don't think you have to worry about staging these things yeah. come up in life, right? Yeah, so, for kids to see that is is actually I think healthy. Right. I agree. Okay, so let me ask you another question. I want to be sensitive mm -hmm. to the way I um word this question in a modest way. Okay. I've heard from different couples who feel that. They are happy in their marriage, yet the one area they have a challenge with is intimacy. You know, one spouse feels that the opposite spouse is not satisfied with their int intimacy life, meaning they're on different levels when it comes to intimacy. Right. So the question is, is what would you advise a couple who struggles with this challenge? Should, should the couple, that, you know, should, should the person, the spouse that wants more intimacy and connection try to not be so needy in this area and try to control that? Should the other spouse that feels that make themselves more available and work on this for themselves so that they're, they are there? Are there more options? What, what are your so, feelings on this? So, so the real option is when we, whenever we discuss intimacy, it's interesting. We look at intimacy as a separate topic. There's everything that goes on in the marriage and, there's intimacy. and, and, then, and then there's intimacy. And the truth is, it's it's there's almost no separation between the two what whatever's happening in the bedroom is usually a reflection of what's happening in the kitchen and whatever's happening in the kitchen is usually a reflection of what's happening in the bedroom so a conversation around intimacy essentially i did i did a a training a few years ago a three-day training on emotionally focused couples therapy for intimacy and i was thinking it's going to be three days of you know it's going to be a lot of very explicit conversation and very, you know, it was done in a secular environment. They're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff. In the three days, we spent maybe 10 minutes talking about physical intimacy. Everything else was all the emotional stuff around it. It was all, all, the, all the things that, that take place that feed into it or come from it, which is really what's going on. When a couple, when a couple is not agreeing about the level of intimacy, too much, too little, I want more, I want less, I want different things. Whenever there's that disagreement, you need to look at it as really like any other disagreement in a marriage that's that's not being resolved, that's, that, that's, that there's a struggle with. When a couple is disagreeing, let me say it this way, tell me if this sounds funny or, or makes sense what I'm about to say. When a couple comes into my office with a, with a, with a fight, they're, they're disagreeing about something, the way I look at it is the problem is not the fight. The problem is not that they disagree with it. The problem is that they needed to come to a therapist to help them work this through. That, that's, there's something sitting inside the relationship that's not allowing them to, to, to resolve this piece. So, and very often what happens is, let's say with this intimacy situation, so you're asking, should, should we, have less intimacy motion, but should I give it to my spouse or should my spouse give it to me? 
very often what happens is exactly that. You know, they'll they'll maybe they'll go for an etza, maybe they'll just come to agreement with themselves, and you know, one spouse will ask an etza from around, and 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 the, the the answer to that is, I think you should do it this way. In this case, I think what your spouse is asking for is reasonable. Do it like the, the way your spouse does. Let's do it this way. Let's do it that way. We're still not. So we found we found a way out. We know what we're doing, but we're still not resolving the underlying issue over here. We're still not resolving what's happening. That 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 this is becoming such such an issue. There are there are underlying issues over here. So in, and essentially, within the, couple, within the relationship, it, it it can't be that one spouse is let's say you know need, more needy in a certain area than the no, other. One spouse is the relationship it, that it's deeper, or is it their own, should they be exploring that within their within themselves or as a couple? I'm, I'm as, trying to as be... both in themselves and as a couple that one spouse is more needy than than the other spouse. Yeah, that that's probably what's happening over here. And more being more needy in certain areas, in, in every relationship, there are areas where I'm more needy or less needy. Intimacy, it, it, obviously, when I, when I say intimacy is like everything else, I, I really don't mean that. Intimacy, I really, I should say intimacy is like everything else, but the, times a thousand. But more so, right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just had, it just, it carries an enormous intensity, but the underlying dynamics are very similar. So yeah, you might have a spouse who has, who has, who has a lot of neediness where the other spouse doesn't have that. And now there's an imbalance in the marriage. That imbalance, if if we cannot work that through, we need to be looking for what it is. That, let, let me give you, a, a, we'll go to a silly example. Let's say a couple comes in to my office and is arguing over, you know, she's very angry at him that he never puts the cat back on the toothpaste, right? And he'll always, he takes Google and keeps it off. And he's saying, you know, stop being my mother. And what's the big deal? You know, if you want the cap back on, put it back on. I, I can't. I can't remember every five seconds to put a cap on a toothpaste. Like leave me alone. And they're having a big fight over it. And in the in the course of a typical couples therapy conversation, we might get to a place of, you know, she's reliving childhood. You know, her her nobody ever listened to her. Nobody ever paid attention to her. And he's feeling choked, just like his mother choked him. And and. Uh, so, right. and that's all playing itself out in the toothpaste. Now you might ask me, isn't it ever about the toothpaste? Like maybe it's just about that, right? right. And the answer is, yes, yeah, sometimes it is, but they would never have ended up in my office. They, they would have figured it out. When I have a, a situation where one spouse is very needy and another spouse is not needy and it's creating conflict in the marriage, the, the question I'm going to ask is what's going on, what's happening in the dynamics of the marriage that they were not able to sit and talk this through and, and come to come to some place on their own. Mm. Like if this is something. So the only thing that's coming up for me as you're saying that is, is that I'm concerned that people listening might think it's a negative thing to come to a marriage therapist. And, and I think this is one of the reasons why people may say, well, we don't, we don't need to go to therapy. We could figure, you know, like that's like a whole new level. So I want to, I want to just put a caveat. Okay, out no, there that's, say, thank you so much for pointing that out. Yeah, that this yeah, is that's... important that, you know, if you're arguing about something and this is becoming something that's hard for you to figure out together, you need to go and have that. You need to have somebody help you resolve it. So it's not a bad thing. I just want to put that out there. Thank you so much for saying that. And there's nothing bad about having dynamics inside of us that, that are coming up that we need to maybe sometimes talk to somebody about if we can't really, if, if we're talking to each other and we can't get it right, if, if, if the neediness and intimacy on one, if, if we can't get intimacy right, 
there probably is some other dynamic going on. That's not a, yeah, thank you for saying this. That, that's not a negative thing. It just means something else is going on. There's, there's, there's emotional stuff coming up for you. There's emotional stuff coming up for me. And it, it's, it's, we're running into that. That's all. Yeah. And, you know, another question that's coming up as you were speaking for me is I've heard people say that going to marriage counseling is, is really good. And sometimes it's also good to do go to your own therapist. Like you can figure things out. If you're doing your own work, you could really impact your marriage as well. So a lot of people will say, do you know a really good marriage counselor? I haven't been able to find a very good marriage therapist. And I'll tell them, meanwhile, do your own work. Meanwhile, see, speak to somebody, try to figure out the, the, to help yourself so that you're going to get stronger and you're going to have more tools to better your relationships. Do you agree with that? Does that resonate with you? Or does it have to be resolved in a, in a marriage counselor's well, office? I agree with that so long as the individual therapist that the spouse is going to is very sensitive to the marriage, which is not always the case. Mm -hmm. words, you, um, I've seen, I've seen that help what you're saying. I've seen it help a marriage when one spouse goes to individual therapy. I've also seen it hurt a marriage. Okay. It, it really needs a, a, a real sensitivity on the part of the therapist to, 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 you know, make sure that the marriage is still the most important thing in the room, even though this person but is they're not only focusing on their client, but also focusing on the marriage. Right. Right. And, and, and another, I mean, obviously important part of that is that the person who's going to the therapist is looking to resolve the issue, not just have someone tell them you're right, you're right, you're right. Exactly. But that, that would be the sensitivity. You know, the sensitivity of that's causing you pain let's talk about what might be going on inside your husband or your wife. Let, let's, you know, just to have that sensitivity and to include that sensitivity into, in, in the individual therapy. So that's, that's an important piece because I, I found that not every therapist is sensitive to that. But by the way, on the, on the topic, topic of stigma, I, I just, my dream, I just need to say this, but my dream would be that every single couple during Shana Rishina goes, goes, is, is, is sitting at least once a month with a couple's therapist. Just once a month. Just it's a, it's a whole thing now, like you know, premarital therapy. You know that that, that and people are mandating it along with chassan classes and kala classes. Right, but premar premarital therapy. I found I've done a lot of premarital therapy. I found it kind of goes in one ear at the other because oh, you have to experience it. it it's it, it, it's helpful, but it unless you're living in the marriage and seeing it. It's not the it's same. Not, it's not the same. Maybe secularly, they're living with each other, so it doesn't matter. Just before you jump to the last one, let me jump back to the last question and just kind of throw in a, a, a it's not specifically about intimacy, but but that question is is raising this thought with him, Ed. Okay. Isn't it okay, or let me, let me phrase it as a question. Is it okay for a couple to have, no, it's inevitable. Couples have things about their spouses that are not perfect. Right. We all learn to live with a certain amount of uh, imperfection in life and, and acceptance right. that things are not going to be okay, right. whether it's in the realm of, of the tooth, toothpaste cap or, or, or uh, which, you know, uh, values issues or, or, or desire issues um, and, and intimacy issues. Obviously, if it's affecting the shalom bias on a, on a serious level, so then, then it really does need to be resolved. But there also, I, I guess I'm asking, I guess I'm asking you to to confirm what I think is obvious is that there's going to be a certain amount of of not having all your desires and wishes. I don't want to say the words needs, but all your you're not going to have all your needs met in the marriage, and that's okay. I think he mentioned in the beginning that one of the three things is expectations coming into a relationship with right with expectations, and that's a big reason for unhappiness in a relationship is that you have unmet expectations. You have these ideas, unrealistic, unrealistic, yeah. 
Right. I mean, I'm answer, I don't mean to answer for you, but I'm just <laughs> taking. Yeah. So, so, but, but even, even with those unrealistic expectations, I mean, the word needs. You said you don't want to say the word needs. The word needs gets a bad rap. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the word needs. We all have needs. Yeah. Um, the only time there's a problem with having needs is when they conflict with your needs. And you know, having needs is not selfish, but having needs and not caring about your needs, that's selfish. So, so we want to, so yeah, I, I do have these needs. I come in so I, and, and I, I may have, yes, it's true. The expectation of this is gonna be the ultimate you know, physical fantasy for me. Maybe may you know that may not come to fruition in marriage, and I need to understand that that's not what marriage is about. That we're not living in a fantasy; we're living in a real world. Sometimes, and sometimes that's enough. Sometimes the person—it's not enough to say your expectations are too high. Sometimes there really needs to be. Sometimes a person can do this on their own. Sometimes a person needs help doing that. Um, but to be able to come to a place of just kind of, sometimes there's pain. There might be, if I, if there are certain needs that are not being met, um, in intimacy or in other areas also, I've had a spouse say to me things like, you know, I, I wish my husband was more intelligent. He's really not as intelligent as I thought he was. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to come up in intimacy a lot. These are, there are things that, so to say, well, you have, your expectations are too high, that may not be enough. The person may have to go through a process of uh, just being able, to, being able to accept it, being able to make room for the pain. Yeah. One, sometimes it's a full, sometimes it's just, you know, it's a small thing. Sometimes it's a full-blown grief process. You know, it's being able to hold on to the fact, the reality that there are certain things I will never have in my, in my marriage and, and making room for that because I have so many other things. That's a really great segue to my next question, actually. So what if one spouse feels that they didn't choose the right partner, meaning the spouse is kind, sensitive, good parent, yet they don't feel compatible. They're very different people. And the spouse feels that every day they need to make a choice they have children, they need to reinvest in this marriage, even though they feel non-compatible, not attracted to the spouse. And this struggling spouse feels like each day when they make this decision to recommit themselves to this marriage, it's also a part of them feels that they're making the same mistake that they made many, many years ago when they chose this spouse in the first place. So what would your advice be to someone who struggles with this to help them be able to move forward and not be stuck in their own narrative around this, like their own thinking around this? How could they find a better way to get through this? How, how can they struggle better around this? Wow. Okay. This, this is one of the most painful questions that shows yes. up. It, 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 it's, it's, so th there's it's a couple of things that, that, that you brought up. There's, when I make a choice, first of all, you said make a decision every day. They can't. That's not sustainable. They, 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 won't, they won't make it. So the, mar the marriage will be a disaster. There needs to be a choice made. They, they need to choose. What is that choice? And that choice is whatever choice, whatever they choose. Their choice might be to leave the marriage. Their choice might be to stay the marriage. But I, I need, I need to help them make that choice and not myself. Because if I have a, somebody with five children who's just, just doesn't like their spouse, and this is not the person I wanted to marry, yeah. So my, my, my sense of of right and wrong is going to tell me, come on, you know what? <laughs> you got to own up to this. What about your five kids? That's not, if they stay in the marriage, 
because they are being told by the people around them that they have to, then they're actually going to be making a choice every day. They're going to be miserable for the rest of their life. They're going to be resentful. There's going to be just so much pain there. And then 10 years later, it might explode again. What, what really has to happen in a situation like that is they, they have to come to a place where there's a choice made. And that choice is going to have to include it. You could leave, right? You could leave the marriage. What would stop you from leaving the marriage? And when you have that conversation with them, there are many things that would stop them from leaving the marriage. They love their kids. They have a sense of responsibility, even, even to the spouse. Like, I know that he or she is not the person I wanted, but she didn't do anything wrong. Right. <laughs> like, what, what? So there's a sense of responsibility. There's a sense that they love their kids. There's a lot of values over here that's, that would be a reason to stay. It's very painful to stay. Pain, staying would mean giving up dreams. Staying would mean shattered dreams. It's back to the dreams and values. This is a dreams values issue. You may have to mourn the loss of a dream so that you can live your values. I, I, I tell myself, I, I took a, a course. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a wait, wait, that's such a powerful line. Wait, wait, wait. Mourn the loss of your dreams. Yeah. To, to accomplish to, the values. To, to, to allow yeah. me to live my values. Allow it, you to live in your values. This is really mourning. I, I, took, I took a course as a, as a couples therapist. I went to take a course in grief counseling just to help people through situations like this. This is beyond painful and there's a real loss. Like they really have to say goodbye to a dream, but they're doing it because there's a value here and, and that they can choose. People can choose that. People can make that choice. And, and is that enough? Is is the kids the 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 fact of it's not that you're 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 is that enough to generate new happiness, new love, or or, or can can values take me to the finish line and just live my life and grieve grieve the dream? I'm just can you build on that and once, develop love? Once I fully accepted the loss, once in in, in any in any loss, you know when. It, People lose things. It's very hard to continue living life with a, with a, with a heavy loss. When I make room for that loss, when I, when I can own that loss, when I could say there's, there's room inside of me to hold that pain, it, it opens up other possibilities. Am I, am I guaranteeing that you will have a beautiful relationship? No, but there's room to develop some kind of relationship that will, that, that's going to be enough. But that the choice, is, the choice is made. What? It doesn't involve daily dis recommitting, daily decision making. Yeah, it can't. It, it can't be daily recommitting. Every every day can't be a referendum on this. It's, it's that's not sustainable. But when but in life, all the time, we we make decisions very often. Sometimes big things, sometimes small things, to live our values by making room for pain. That's that's that is a big part of life, and that's what a person like this would need to do. Now, sometimes a person may say. No, it's just too painful. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't own that pain. That's not my call. That's not my call. But more often than not, people will, the pain of not living your values is more painful than the, than the other pain. So I'm, I'm hearing that like similar to a spouse, literally losing another spouse, that the, their spouse, their loved one dies. And they have to now go on with their life without this loved one. Their life, they have to mourn this loss. Yeah. So to here, they have to mourn this loss of a dream. 
so that they could make space to accept this reality. Is there any room in this that Ashkacha Pratis, like you could tell yourself that this is, this is predestined. It's from Hashem. Like try to like, obviously no one else could tell you that, but talking to yourself like that, is that, is that helpful at all? That for sure. But like, like be talking your way through it kind of. You, you can be talking your way through it as long as it's real. That's why I would never impose that on somebody. Right. I, I would ask the questions. I would talk to them about their amuna and I'd talk to them about their betachen and, and see where it is for them. But if I impose my own on them right. and they make a decision based on somebody else's betachen and somebody else's amuna, it, it's, <laughs> it's going to be a disaster. But let, let me use your analogy just to dive just a a, a slight one layer even possibly deeper so god forbid someone does lose a spouse and they grieve the loss of that spouse and they will never have that love again but once they grieve that spouse then in at least in marriages uh, and and loss of spouse you can now find a new spouse and have a new kind of love it won't be the same one but it'll be a beautiful potentially a very in, beautiful new one can in the this, same marriage uh, yes you're talking about in the same marriage so so I'm, I'm talking about an actual death and then you get remarried to a second spouse right. in can can the grieving of the loss of that dream create space for a new love that was unexpected it wasn't what you were dreaming about as a kid or as a bachar as a or a young woman and, and create space for the new thing that's the goal that would be ideal that's that's what i would be shooting for it doesn't always materialize that way that's the, that's the goal but, but that would be the goal to try to be able to create that and and just you but the the prerequisite for that is is really really making room for that pain and and not not even expecting you know making room for pain let me just give a quick muscle for the, what what i mean by that and i actually give this muscle to clients yeah i have a couch here in my office and it's it's pretty big compared to the size of my office if I were to take this couch, when you walk into my office, you see the couch. It's there. It's, it hits you in the face. If I were to take the same couch and put it into a huge warehouse, a huge wedding hall, let's say, that's a thousand times the size of my office, you, you wouldn't notice the couch anymore. But it's there. And when you bumped into it, you would see this. Pain works the same way. If, if right now this person is dealing with the pain in their marriage, it's enormous. It, it takes up the whole marriage. It takes up everything. Making room for it means I'm going to allow it to be there so that I can continue living my life. Once I make room for it, the pain doesn't get smaller. People say, well, will the pain ever go away? It might not. The couch is going to be the same size. My life is going to get bigger. That's what I'm trying to expand my life. I'm trying to expand the possibilities inside my marriage. And this is true for any kind of pain. We, yeah. we, our pain doesn't change. We grow around our pain. Right. Thank you so much. I, I want to finish up with one final question. Sure. What is something that you thought you knew really well or were definitely sure about with regards to the topic of marriage, but after years of life experience and years working with couples that you've changed your opinion on? Wow. <laughs> if there's anything. I love the question. Let me, like, I get... Think about it. <laughs> And I loved it too. That's yeah, why. Nobody, that's why nobody's, I, I, nobody's I, ever asked me that earlier question. So you can think about it. Yeah, that, that's like that's a, such a great question. I, I'm probably going to say, I may have another answer in an hour from now. But, but okay, <laughs> what's, what's what's first coming to my mind is, I, I did think, and I think there's there's such a basic basic misconception in how couples talk to each other so so let me say it this way so much of what goes on in, in a marriage 
is content-based. In other words, we're fighting over this, over the toothpaste, over intimacy, over the window, over where we're going for Shabbos. And what I've come to see over and over and over again, both because this is where the couples therapy field teaches you, but I've seen it over and over. I see it in my marriage. I see it in, in the couples that come into my office. 99%, if not more, of the content that's happening, the content interactions are really, are really process-based. We're not really fighting over the toothpaste. We're not really fighting. But we're, we're, we're arguing because you're triggering me. You're, you're, you're touching certain emotions in me, and I'm touching certain emotions in you. And when you find that, it, it's so, it's so eye-opening. It's so... I, I, this is something that it's it just, we all look at marriage as this, this content-based interactions. We, 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 we do this, we do that, we do this, we do that. That's not really what's happening in a marriage. Really what's happening in a marriage is we're, we're, we're interacting. There's a dynamic. There's a fluid emotional dynamic that's constantly playing out back and forth. And I, I just... So there was a time where you it. thought it was about content and now there was, a, there was a time when I thought it was about content or at least, or at least 50% content. Right. But and if, now if you look and, at this, this whole podcast, most of these questions really can be uh, distilled down to these points, you know, and you don't really have to ask the question and say, is this a content issue or is it, or, or is this, you know, something deeper going on? What, what's really coming up? What, what's, I mean, what's every issue, on? every issue is a content issue, but, but yeah. it's really not. And really no issue is uh, uh, that that really my, my if there's something that's like oh my gosh i can't you know there was there was it's like there is no content <laughs> there is like where's there i must today i don't even see content i have a hard time seeing content in a marriage there was a time when i had a hard time seeing process in a marriage so well, come back in an hour, I'll give you a different answer, but that's the okay. one that's coming okay. up. So I, but, but, but I think that's great homework for all of us. Yeah. And it's, that's a, using that, trying to look at all of our disagreements in a marriage through that lens can really help Shalom Bias across the board. Instead of thinking about what D the don't content. Get, don't get stuck on, on what the specific thing we're disagreeing about on, right. but rather what's what's really going on over there. What, what's what's coming up for me? There's here. really a deeper right. something going on. There's really, a can I? Can I just use this as a, as a way to, to go back to something you said before? This, yes. The feeling, th there is a resistance to going to couples therapy. There is a resistance to, there's a certain stigma attached to it. It really should be a beautiful thing. Yeah. But it, we're really just, you know, we're just trying to understand the emotions that are flowing back and forth between us. We're trying to understand that process that's happening between us. That's all that, that's all that couples therapy is. And it can be very enriching, very enlightening. And, and, and beautiful. It, it's, it does, there's nothing wrong with me if I'm having a hard time seeing the flow of the process between us. It, it's, it's hard to see sometimes. And that's all, that's all we want to do. And so a good marriage counselor can help you figure out the process and get, and get past the content. That's usually what a marriage therapist will try to do. Yeah. So if yeah. you're going to a marriage counselor and you're not seeing that and that's not happening, that might be a good sign you need to find a new good marriage counselor. If, if you're going to a marriage therapist and you're focusing on the content and you find yourself being more focused on the content. Get, yeah, get another marriage therapist. Okay, that's not couple therapy. We've totally overshot the time. I know. Using what you just said, I yeah. wonder if, you know, because the, the biggest challenge is the couples who need it the most are the ones who are least likely to actually seek the help that they actually need, right. um, unfortunately, um, because they're so busy fighting that they just can't get their heads around going to therapy. It's not my fault. It's your fault, et cetera. But if, if one couple wants to go, another one 
is schlepped there. Perhaps the intellectual element of understanding that it's not about whatever the issue we're fighting, but the process, maybe that can get the unwilling couple on board, even if they were pulled. I guess I'm asking, can can can, ther- can marriage therapy work if one couple's not completely on board? They're kind of being schlepped to the therapist's office? Yeah, it, it does all the time. <laughs> That's that's uh, I would say about at least half the time that's what's going on. That's 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 what shows up in the. And open. still, a good therapist should should be able yeah, to because because once, find a way once to... because once that the once the reluctant spouse is introduced to the process, it's very eye opening. It's like wow, yeah. it, it's 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 very enlightening. Yeah. So last last, and we'll end off with this. What would be your parting? This words? is our fifth last thing. What would be your parting words to? a couple that's listening, that's struggling right now in their relationship and are very content focused and not process focused. What would, what would you, what would your words of advice be? Just what would you tell them? Um, I would say that commitment to a marriage means commitment to really, really working on this when it's difficult. If it's not working, the earlier, the better. In other words, I I've seen couples Somebody, you know, the typical question is, what's the success rate of couples therapy? And my response is, how long are they married? Couple comes into my office after a year or two. I think we're pretty close to 100%, you know, unless there's mental illness or some other stuff like abuse or something like that. But a couple comes in after 20, 25 years. Very often, it's about an issue that they should have come in 25 years ago. And it's so sad. It's just so sad. And people wait, and they wait, and they wait. Uh, if the 20 years, a problem builds upon problem, builds upon problem, and you, you're not even dealing with the core issues anymore. You're dealing with all the stuff that came up because of that. My my advice would be, if it's not working on your own, and there's, there's, there's a lot of good books out there. There's a lot of seminars out there. Try that first, if that's, you know, if that's... But if it's not working, you know, then you know sometimes people say, "Yeah, I've, I've done this, I've done that." Most of the couples that come into my office have come, have read tons of books, have tried seminars, have done you know they they've done things, and that didn't work. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But real commitment means to a marriage. Marriage is about commitment. Right? We we committed to each other. It means that when it everything looks like it doesn't work, if you haven't found outside help, if somebody hasn't sh- if you haven't gone to somebody who can help you from the outside, you really haven't fully committed to the marriage. Get help as quickly as possible. Like don't let it wait. It's, it's so it's just sad when people wait. It's sad. Okay. I like that. Well, I want to thank you for your time. Hey, thank you for having me here. Really, really appreciate it. That so was very interesting. Okay. So thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you have any feedback that you'd like to share, you can email me through my website at positivecoach.com. And if you have any questions or comments, please email me or leave a rating or a comment on the podcast episodes. It helps others be able to find this podcast easier. And thank you for being here. Have a wonderful, positive day.